Good morning, everybody. How are you doing today? Okay, we're sort of awake. Like it was mentioned, my name is Christine, and I talk with 11 to 14-year-olds for a living. And so thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to say some stuff without trying to make a Fortnite reference today. It's really nice, um, mostly because I'm terrible at it. I know nothing about Fortnite. Oh, I'm, I'm kind of clipping, sorry. Uh, but it's, it's, uh, I'm just really glad to be here. I'm actually a graduate of Lincoln Christian University, but I hope that you won't hold that against me, even though I've never had an Ozark affiliation until today. Um, because you know what they say, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one Bible college in the middle of Midwestern nowhere. We practically went to the same school, right? <laughs> Um, I'm genuinely so grateful to get to be here this morning. It's a true honor to be invited. Um, but I gotta be honest with you. When I first got that ask that I, and I found out that the topic was gonna be conflict, my first thought was, cool prank, Jesus. This is awesome. Because uh, I hate conflict. I, I grew up with two strict Asian parents. Go figure, look at me. Um, so I, <laughs> I got the full spectrum of how Asians deal with conflict. You know, you don't talk about it or you scream about it. Uh, we don't do any of that white people stuff where you're like, let's talk about our feelings. Let's use I statements. Everyone's feelings are valid because you're a unique individual. Like we don't do that. It's just like, hey, like, you can, you can not talk about it or you can scream about it and then not talk about it, okay? <laughs> and so, uh, for real, I, ju I just hate conflict. Uh, generally, I avoid it as much as possible. I either stuff or I run, so I don't wanna talk about it or, and I don't wanna deal with it. And even the tiniest form of conflict for me can steal nights of sleep. Um, I'm generally kind of an anxious person. And so just add some conflict in there and my therapist is making bank, right? <laughs> but when we really get down to it, Thank you, this is much nicer. Okay, here we are. Yes, we can applaud for Chris, he's amazing. Thank you, Chris, the real MVP of the hour. <laughs> but when we get down to it, right, conflict is just everywhere. We're born into conflict because we're born into families. Like literally, we're born into conflict and nothing in our lives goes untouched by conflict. There's internal conflict, like anxiety, insecurity, depression, pride. And then there's external conflict, like things not going the way we planned or the stress of stuff that needs to get done. Or, or, and of course, all the relationships in our lives, right? Friendships have pressure points. Teachers critique us and then we criticize them, usually in the privacy of our dorm rooms. Family members ride on our last nerves even though we're miles away from them. And we turn acquaintances into competition. We turn our enemies into excuses. I hate conflict but I have found that it is an inescapable part of life. And not only that, I found that conflict is also an inescapable part of faith. Conflict surrounds and saturates our lives. And even from the beginning, it's found its way into the church. See, James was a letter written during some of the earliest stages in the church, and we catch glimpses that even then, things were steeped in conflict. If you would turn to James with me, starting in the first verse. James 1, 1, it says, this letter is from James, a slave of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm writing to the 12 tribes, Jewish believers scattered abroad, greetings. So from the very first verse of this book, conflict is evident. James is writing to believers scattered abroad, scattered because of the intense persecution that was happening during the time. So people in the, in the church were being hunted, tortured mercilessly and killed for the gospel. Talk about external conflict, right? So there's this broad brushstroke of conflict that's happening, the persecution that's happening. But then throughout the letter, James addresses things like temptation, favoritism, the tension and partnership of faith and works, the propensity in us to judge, the dichotomy between rich and poor. That's conflict of all kinds. 
Internal conflict, interpersonal conflict, conflict of interest, conflict of vision. And that's all stuff that's happening in the church. That's all stuff that's happening to the church. And some of it is happening because of the church. There's so many facets of conflict we could talk about just from the book of James. But today I would love to focus on interpersonal conflict in the church. And what I would like to say to everybody in this room before I begin is that I have gotten a lot more of this wrong than I've gotten it right. Um, I wanna confess to you that this is truly a, a very difficult topic for me because of what it means for me personally and because I, know, because I know the ways I've screwed this up big time. And so don't let this platform fool you students. I've been in your seat just a few years ago and I know what it's like to sit there and to idolize a platform like this and think, man, I hope one day that's me. But if I can be frank with you, the words I'm about to share with you today, most of them, I'm still earning the right to speak. I'm still learning how to live. And, and you know, for the words I have earned, the things I have experienced, they have come with a cost. See, the life that Jesus calls us to is costly. And I, I know that most of you who are in this room are in here because you have a sense of calling in your life, right? Like you want to contribute to the church. You wanna lead in the church. I hope that you really wanna serve the church. And that's exciting, it's special. I hope you never let anything stifle your passion to love and serve the church, but you need to know that it is costly. And you need to know that there will be conflict. And you need to know that there is a way through. So my first question for us today is, where does all this conflict come from? Because I think if we're gonna deal with it, we have to find the root. And so if you flip over to James 4 with me, this is much harder to do with a mic in hand. Uh, but we're gonna read in James 4, starting in verse one. And he says, what is causing the quarrels and fights among you? He's addressing direct interpersonal conflict in the church, right? And he's saying, don't they come from the evil desires at war within you? You want what you don't have, so you scheme and kill to get it. You're jealous of what others have, but you can't get it, so you fight and wage war to take it away from them. Yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. And even when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure. James says that what causes conflict is us. It's you, it's me. It's the evil desires at war within us. It's the brokenness, the ugliness, the selfishness, the sinfulness that lives inside of you, that lives inside of me. See, the root of conflict is pride. Sometimes that's more obvious than others, like Guitar Kid at CIY. You know, that's always causing all sorts of conflict for me. This is CIY country, so I feel like I can make this reference, but you guys know what I'm talking about. Every CIY I've ever been to, there's always some kid that's walking around playing four chords on the guitar at the most like public space ever at a very inopportune, inappropriate time, right? Sometimes conflict, I mean, sorry, sometimes pride is kind of obvious, but pride can be sneaky too. When I say pride is the root of conflict, I mean, it is the root. It's usually underneath, hidden, but holding things together, usually tightly creating tension. James says that conflict generated in the church comes from evil desires at war within us. This wanting of what we don't have, but taking it anyway. It's this entitlement, this pride. You know, I, I look around and the entitlement of our generation is rampant. It is out of control. We are living in a culture where everyone is an expert, right? 
Everyone's striving to be an influencer, whatever that means. And everyone can say something to the entire world through a tiny screen in our hands. And therefore everyone feels as if they should be heard. Everyone feels as if their opinion is the truth. And we are losing the ability to listen and we are losing the art of compassion. And as this escalates, we talk and we tweet and we post and we talk some more and we're affirmed by the likes. And so therefore we think that everything we think must be 100% right. So then when we're challenged or someone disagrees or someone doesn't notice us the way that we would like, we get angry or we feel dejected, we feel wronged and we start acting out. We start living out of that space in our lives. Like how dare they speak to us like that? How could they not see how smart I am? How could they not see how talented I am? How, how insightful I am? How beautiful I am? How come they picked that person and they didn't pick me? How come they're getting noticed? How come they're getting the internship? How come their posts are getting so many more likes than my posts? And we start treating some people worse because honestly we think we're better than them. Yeah? And we put other people on a pedestal because we want to be them. We want their lives. We want what is not ours. And we gossip and we slander and we mutter things under our breath and our insecurity. Entitlement feels conflict like kerosene in a forest fire. And James says that we don't get what we want because we don't ask God for it. And even when we ask God, he's not giving it to us because our motives are all wrong. We're looking for what's pleasing to us instead of what's pleasing to God. See, our pride leads us to hold on to things that aren't even ours to begin with. It puts a loop in our brain about what we deserve, how things feel to us, what should be ours. And slowly, but steadily and sneakily, God stops being God and we make ourselves our own God. We start defining what we feel we have a right to. And students, I wanna let you know that it is gonna be easy when you step off this campus and you step into the church to let that passage in James 4 be a descriptor of your life and not just a warning that you're gonna see people get recognized for abilities you don't have and you're gonna be jealous. You're gonna see, man, people get to do things that you don't get to do, but you're more gifted. And there's gonna be a war waging inside of you. You're gonna get placed under leadership that feels like it's limiting you and you're gonna wanna fight. Do you see how conflict gets birthed from pride? I think about that story of David and Saul in 1 Samuel. There was conflict in that relationship. If you know the story, that's like the biggest understatement on the planet. <laughs> but Saul had tried to kill David, right? And multiple times, and he was literally hunting him down when David had the opportunities to take him out, to kill him. But David doesn't. He said he wouldn't dare harm the Lord's anointed. But the thing was, David had been anointed. David had been clearly called and he knew that. David was told by the Lord that he would inherit the throne. A preacher I heard said it like this, you might be anointed, but have you been appointed? You know, there was a span of 20 years from David's anointing to David's appointing as king. And I wanna encourage us as young aspiring leaders in the church to be mindful of both the anointing in our lives and the time of appointing in our lives, to not let pride lead our lives and cause us to run our ministries, our churches, our teams, students, small groups, whatever it is that God might entrust us into ruin. Pride leads us into thinking that we know more than we actually do. Pride leads us into thinking that we don't need to say sorry when we're wrong or we shouldn't say sorry because it's gonna come across as weak. Pride makes us forget what it's like to ask for help. Pride closes both our ears and our hearts and we stop listening 
and we stop loving, pride will drive your ministry and your life into the ground and you will be all alone when you get there. You'll be all alone when you get there. See, if you just jump up a few verses in James 3, starting verse 13. He says this, if you are wise and understand God's ways, prove it, prove it by living an honorable life, doing good works with the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you are bitterly jealous and there's selfish ambition in your heart, don't cover up the truth with boasting and lying for jealousy and selfishness are not God's kind of wisdom. Such things are earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For wherever there is jealousy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and evil of every kind. James says that there is an antidote to our pride, which is the source of conflict, and it is the wisdom that comes from God. He says there is a kind of perceived wisdom that's not from God, the kind of wisdom that comes from this world, and it's demonic, and this perceived wisdom promotes jealousy and selfishness, and this was true about the culture that James was in 2,000 years ago, and it is still true today. It might not be outright all the time, obvious all the time, but this earthly wisdom, this demonic wisdom, and I want you to hear the seriousness of that, this demonic wisdom is entrenched in our modern day culture. We use words, we use words like hustle. We use words like influence, we use words like leadership. And again, if you are hustling so hard to get what you see others have, and I don't care if it's your roommate, I don't care if it's someone random on campus, I don't care if it's a celebrity pastor you're never gonna meet. If you are hustling so hard to get what somebody else has and you're not getting there and you don't have it, man, maybe it's time to ask God for it. And if you're not getting it, then maybe it's time to consider that your motives are all wrong, yeah? Like, think about that. That's what the scripture says. That perhaps you are relying on the wisdom of our culture that says, work really hard and you'll get there. You deserve it. You can do anything, right? We hear that all the time. And I'm not judging you. I bought into this lie. And it took God breaking me completely, breaking everything about my life to get my heart in a place where I don't wanna do just anything. I don't wanna do what I think I deserve because I've seen that my grandest dream, the greatest goal I could have for my life that I think I deserve would be like a stain on the purposes God has for my life. But the purposes God has for my life are completely about him and his glory. They're not for a second about my happiness. They're about drawing me into deeper holiness. And I think that it's the same for you. See, we can't operate on the conditions and wisdom of our culture if we wanna navigate conflict in a way that carries the gospel, we just can't. And James says that there is a wisdom that comes from God. And he says that if we're wise in this way, we will prove it. We will prove it by the way that we live. See, wisdom isn't about just knowing a bunch of stuff. It's not pure intellect. It's not merely understanding. Wisdom is knowledge plus action. It is understanding and then doing. And you are not wise if you know a bunch of stuff, but it's not changing the way that you live. Because at best, at best you're being ignorant. At worst, you're being disobedient. I love what Proverbs 3 says about wisdom. It says, don't be impressed with your own wisdom. Instead, fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Joyful is the person who finds wisdom, the one who gains understanding for wisdom is more profitable than silver and her wages are better than gold. What would it look like if we approached every confrontation fearing the Lord and turning away from evil? 
Like whether the confrontation is happening because you wronged someone or whether it's happening because someone wronged you. What would it be like if we did that? What would it be like if we were less impressed by ourselves? If we put away selfishness, if we didn't make it about us, and if we didn't enter into messy conversations carrying giant suitcases of self-preservation, what would that be like? See, wisdom is knowledge plus action. And in the beginning of his letter in James 1, verse 5, James says, if you want wisdom, just ask God for it. He's generous. He wants to give it to us. So many of us in, conf- in the conflicts in our lives, we go into freak out mode, right? Like we panic because it's so complicated and there's so many emotions and we don't know what to do. And honestly, we're just not that self-aware. I don't care how many Enneagram bingo cards you place on your Insta story. You don't know yourself. If you need that, you don't know yourself, okay? And so, I'm sorry, that's a different rant for a different day. But <laughs> we, we go into freak out mode when it comes to conflict. None of us are good at conflict naturally. It's hard. It really is very complicated most of the time. But how many of us start with asking God for wisdom in it? See, wisdom is knowledge plus action. If you don't know what to do, if you want wisdom, ask God for it. We need less leaders in the church who are just really strategic and more leaders in the church who start all things by asking God for wisdom. And I'm not saying we don't need strategic leaders I'm just saying that strategy is a really bad replacement for asking God. Students, the reality is, if you sense God calling you into ministry, you are being called to walk into a haystack of conflict, a haystack of conflict. And it's gonna feel worse than any other haystack around because it's the church, we're Christians. You know, we should know better. We have higher expectations, a higher standard for living, and that will make the hurt feel worse. If you're in ministry for very long, you're gonna get disappointed by people. You're gonna get treated unfairly or unkindly. You might get betrayed. People are gonna hurt you. And sometimes it's gonna really feel like it came out of left field, you weren't expecting it. But guess what? You're probably gonna be the source of that for some other people too. You're gonna disappoint some people. You're gonna say some stuff that you're not proud of You're gonna make some mistakes that a lot of other people are gonna have to end up paying for. You are gonna hurt people and people are gonna hurt you and these wounds are gonna bleed a bit more because we expect better from the church. But I am am pleading with you. I am pleading with you to not be the kind of people that carry our wounds for others to see but carry our crosses instead. To die to ourselves daily. See, we can't control what other people do but we can surrender ourselves. There was a season in my ministry where it felt like everywhere I turned, I was met with a wall. And I just wanted to quit. I questioned my calling. I was like, I don't think, I don't think I'm made for this. I can't do this anymore. And everything hurt all the time. It was so hard to not let that define my life. And hear me, I did that to me. No one else did that. I did that to me. I took my situation, I made it my identity. And so I felt like a failure when I didn't feel heard in a conversation or I would get so worked up about other people when there are definitely things I could have been working on in my own heart. And it was difficult to remember the purpose of what I was doing, like what my day-to-day choices counted for. And I'm so thankful that we serve a God who isn't only good in the good times. Y'all feel me on that? 
I remember in those seasons that, that in the pain, in the hurt, in my own insecurity, when all I wanted to do was focus on how, like how other people had wronged me and how easy it was to live out of that space, God would bring to my mind the faces of the students I was serving. And he would remind me that I had a responsibility to make everything as right as I could on my end because my life counted on their behalf. And that is both the joy and the work of the kingdom, that our lives get to participate in something so much greater than ourselves. And so ministry, I, I, when I was in Bible college, I wish I would have heard this. It is so hard. It is so hard. It was probably gonna be the source of some of the biggest pain in your life, but it will also be the source of some of the greatest joy if you will let God do that work in you. And I didn't always do that well. You know, sometimes I wallowed in my own self-pity. Sometimes I let my anger or my fear drive my day. But I can tell you that each time I chose to do the right thing, even if it didn't feel like it led to anything, my soul was always in better condition, even if my circumstances weren't. Would you learn from my mistakes? Would you learn from my mistakes and commit to doing the right thing every time, no matter where it does or doesn't lead? It will save you a lot of heartache. When someone hurts us, can we die to ourselves? Can we seek to forgive? Can we speak the truth in love every time, in love? Never for the sake of just being heard, not for selfish gain, not to be right, not to have the final word. And I'm not saying to not have hard conversations, right? Like the church needs to do better at having hard conversations when they need to happen. I'm just saying, you need to check your motives before you go into those. You need to ask the Holy Spirit to look inside your heart before you walk into those. When someone hurts us, can we die to ourselves? But on the other end, when we hurt somebody else, can we die to ourselves? Can we be quick to take responsibility and ownership? We live in a culture of increasing compartmentalization. We curate our highlight reels and we project our best moments as who we are, right? Like, oh, this is my Instagram feed and this is my reality, 100%. <laughs> and, and in our worst moments though, we live in a, oh, that's not really me mentality, right? Like, oh, I just posted that online, that's not really me. I was just having a bad day. I was having a bad moment. That's not really me. I, I just slipped up when I said that. That's not really me. That person just really extra triggers me. That's not really me. And this, oh, that's not really me mentality has got to stop if we're gonna navigate conflict in the church in a way that actually reveals the gospel instead of delegitimizing it to a watching world. Because really, whenever, whenever we're at a point where we're like, oh, that's not really me, this is what I wanna ask. What do you mean? What do you mean? Do you have a twin or a clone that bears your name? Like, what do you mean it's not you? Because we looked at James 4 together and he says, nah, bro, it's you. It's me. It's us. Stop lying to yourself. What are you doing? He says, it is the evil desires at war within us. So let's stop pretending that it's not. When we hurt somebody else, can we die to ourselves? Can we be quick to take responsibility and ownership? Can we get really good? That's saying, I'm sorry, and meaning it. Can we humble ourselves and admit our failure and trust that God is gonna give us the grace that we need to move forward? Wisdom is knowledge plus action. If you don't know what to do, ask God and he will tell you. James goes on to say in chapter three in verse 17, but the wisdom from above is first of all pure, 
It's also peace-loving, gentle at all times, and willing to yield to others. It is full of mercy and the fruit of good deeds. It shows no favoritism and is always sincere. And those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest of righteousness. When I read that, I think, man, wouldn't it be so cool if that was a description, a picture of my life, of your life? Like, that's the most practical list ever on how to deal with conflict, right? (laughs) But the more and more I've read it, the more and more I've read it, especially preparing for this, I can't stop thinking about how the clearest summary picture of this passage and how we deal with conflict is Jesus carrying his cross for us. That in the bloody mess of that situation, he embodied wisdom. He was first of all pure. He was peace-loving. He was gentle at all times, willing to yield to others. He was full of mercy. He showed no favoritism. What he did for us was sincere and he made peace on our behalf with God. Wisdom is knowledge plus action. If you don't know what to do, ask God. But I think Jesus made it really clear that a big part of what we ought to be doing all the time is carrying our cross and following him, right? Dying to ourselves, killing our pride, releasing our entitlement, loving peace, being gentle always, willing to yield to others, choosing mercy, blanketed in sincerity, not having favorites, being peacemakers. I think the gospel makes it really clear that God is not concerned with portions of us. He wants everything about us, right? God is not concerned with portions of us. He wants everything about us. And so every conflict we encounter is an opportunity for our character to be shaped. Guys, listen to me. Wisdom is not a light switch. Character is not a light switch. I remember this so clearly when I was in school, just like you are right now. Like, I remember having areas in my life where I thought, um, like, yeah, I'll just deal with that later. I'm sure it'll shake itself out once I'm in ministry. Like, it doesn't work like that. Let me just tell you right now. If you think that, get it out of your brain. That's a lie. Because let me just ask you this. If you spend all your time on the weekends in your dorm room playing video games, what makes you think you're gonna be a great youth pastor one day? That doesn't make any sense if you're not serving at a local church. Like, what are we doing? If you gossip a lot right now, do you think that's gonna be better once you get your own church office? Because it's not. It doesn't work like that. If your relationships are always in turmoil and you don't have healthy friendships right now, how do you think you're gonna lead and care for others well once you, once you have pastor attached to your name? It doesn't work like that. If you have hidden sin in your life right now, how do you think it's, do you think it's gonna get easier to confess when you have a job where other people depend on you? Because it doesn't work like that it gets a lot harder. If you think you're above the rules right now, if you think that things don't apply to you because it doesn't make sense to you, do you think you're not gonna carry that mentality into your workplace when you're at the bottom of the org chart? Wisdom is not a light switch. Character is not a light switch. You don't get to just turn it on and off. You don't get to turn it on when you're ready for it. Because if you are not slowly building it over time, When you need it, you're gonna flip that light switch on and you're gonna be stuck in darkness. Wisdom is knowledge plus action. Some of you in this room, you know some things that need to change in your life right now and you're not doing anything about it. Some of you have conflict with people right in this room. Could be a roommate, could be an ex-friend, could be a faculty member, I don't care who it is. But... Some of you have conflict with someone right now and you know you ought to make it right. 
and you know how to do it. And that's the power of the Holy Spirit. Because sometimes when we're not asking for wisdom, he gives it to us anyway. He's that gracious. But you know what you ought to do to make it right, and you are not doing it. Students, you are in the safest place you'll ever be right now, learning how to do ministry, learning how to position your life for the benefit of the kingdom and for the church. And if you're not doing the things you know you ought to be doing right now, you for sure will not do it when you get out there. Let me just tell you that right now. If you are not working on that stuff right now, you're not gonna be good at it when you get out there. So just save yourself some heartache and work on it right now. Wisdom is not a light switch. Character is not a light switch. But wisdom leads us through conflict and character sustains us in it. You want wisdom? Ask God for it. You want character? Die to yourself every day. And here's just one more thing I'd love to encourage us in today. Don't do things for the church without the church. Stay in community. Sometimes when it's really hard for me to know what God is saying when I'm asking him, I hear him in the voice of my community. And God has been really gracious to me. Um, and I have a myriad of voices that speak into my life that know me deeply and love me thoroughly. And they're also like very different from one another, which helps. And so sometimes when I don't know what to do and I'm asking, I'm praying, you always have to go to the Lord first yourself, right? But I look for the places where there's alignment, where there's unity in the voices of my community. It rhymes, so hopefully you remember that. Uh, <laughs> and when it comes to character, same thing. Stay in community. Let me ask you. Are there people in your life right now that know the worst version and worst things about you and talk to you about it regularly? Are there people in your life that will tell you, no, stop, absolutely not, and you will listen? Are there people in your life like that? Are you making a practice? Do you have spiritual disciplines in your life where you are confessing your sins to the Lord regularly and there are witnesses? Do people know what you're struggling with? And I'm not just talking about stuff like porn. Like, yes, if you struggle with that, please have accountability partners for that. But do you have accountability partners for your pride? Because you should. When it comes to conflict in the church, the stakes are just too high for us to make moves based on our own wisdom, based on our own understanding. When I'm going through something difficult, even if I feel like I know 150% the right thing to do, the right thing to say, I always check it with the community that holds me accountable. And what I'm not saying is like, if you have beef with Becky, go tell your 17 friends before you light into her. Like, do not do that, please. <laughs> but Proverbs 12:15 says, fools think their own way is right, but the wise listen to others. So what I'm saying to you is have people in your life that are safe, that love Jesus, that walk with God, and he will tell you that you're dumb and will tell you all the ways that you suck and talk to them before you go blasting into a conflict. I just don't trust myself anymore. You know, like I don't wanna be so foolish to think that I, I can see every hidden root of pride in my life and even that I have the energy to pull them all out by myself. We live in a world that thinks that the way through conflict is charisma and the way to sustain yourself in conflict is about competency, about capacity. And both of those things are lies. It's just not true. The way through conflict is wisdom from the spirit of God. And what sustains us in it is, what sustains us in conflict is character slowly built in community. Conflict is hard. It is inevitable, even and especially in the church. We're all kind of a mess, but we have a hope that carries us. And his name is Jesus. Students, 
Don't let pride speak for you. Don't let pride speak for you. Let wisdom lead you through and have a character that will last you through. Let me pray for us.